yes, uh, the time change is welcome. It's always hard that first day or two, but it really helps cricket training. It's kind of been uh, really dark during Abel's training, so they can actually see a red ball now, hopefully, at 7 p.m. So being in 1 John chapter 5, there's a great verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17. just speaks of the reality of the life we have in Jesus. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's always wonderful to have new things. And has anyone here ever been just fed up with you? Just, just like, you know what? I want a new perspective. I need a new life. I'm quite tired of this cycle that I've been on of, you know, sin, repent, repeat. Um, but that we can have a new life, a new perspective, a new you through Jesus Christ. We can have a new life in him. And it's very, we need to be reminded of that, that we actually have a new life through Jesus. Because when we look at the world, we look at the our own selves or problems, it can be very depressing. It can be a bit uh, exhausting. But when we look to Jesus, we realize there's a, there's a life to be lived that is glorious, that is awesome, that is fulfilling and satisfying with the presence of God. And I saw a video recently um, of a deer that was stuck in the mud. And it was really exhausted, and it was, a, it was about to drown in the mud when someone waded out there, kind of picked up the deer and dragged it out. And uh, it, it offered very little resistance when all these people were pouring water and kind of getting the mud off. And then it was like kind of, oh, it kind of sprung to its feet and sprinted off. A new chance at life. Like it was going to die in the mud, but this uh, being a wild animal really didn't show any loyalty to the person who saved it. And uh, it reminded me of those lepers that Jesus healed, right? They, their life was over. Their social life was over. Their life was heading towards ruin through a very slow, painful disease, um, being cut off from friends and family, losing the feeling in your limbs. And, and only one of ten thought to stop before going to the temple and return to thank Jesus. He had a new life. And he thanked God for it. And so um, are we more like the deer that's like, oh, you know, I'm bailed out. I have a new chance and kind of take off as you were or realize that God wants to change you. He doesn't want to just bail you out of your problems. He wants to give you a new heart, a new mind, a new life and uh, a new ability to serve him and please him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the new life that you give us through Jesus. And thank you that it's an abundant life. It's not uh, one that is offered by this world, but one that's given by your grace. Thank you for the joy and the peace that you give us. Lord, I pray that we would be experiencing that today. Lord, if we're not experiencing the newness of life that you have, I, I ask that you would show us and you'd put in our hearts a desire to seek you with our whole heart. Because you say in your word, if we seek you with our whole heart, we will find you. Lord, I pray you'd bring us to a place of, of really desperation to know you, to have fellowship with you, to seek hard after you, and that you would reveal yourself to us in practical and powerful ways today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot of people today who are happy with their life. 
They're not really interested in, in giving up their life, their own life, in exchange for the life that Christ offers. They're, ha- they're happy to find a, a superficial identity in um, maybe their geographic location, where they were born, or their family, or a political affiliation, or things that they enjoy doing, hobbies, or in knowledge, accomplishments, obtaining wealth, something, something of the world. They're happy to find identity in those things. You think about, you can have the best meal, and in a few hours you're going to be hungry again. I mean, the, the soul of a human is relentlessly restless. We, we ha- we're never quite satisfied, even when we obtain the thing that we really want. You're looking forward to this thing, you ob- obtain the thing, and you're already looking to the next thing. But Jesus coming to earth was a game changer because he gives us newness of life. He gives us a, an identity found in him, and his spirit comes into us. And so we can have uh, a new life. It's not just a mindset to follow Jesus. It's someone was dead in sins and now is alive. So it's bigger than the metamorphosis that you see of, uh, you know, a, a caterpillar turning into a moth or a butterfly. There's that transformation where the, the creature is now assumed a totally different appearance, but we were dead, but now we're alive. That's, Amazing. So we'll read about that this morning in 1 John 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Last week we talked about how God's love is different from all the other loves in the world. It's distinct. And we can only know God's love once we've received it by being born again. So we've trusted in Christ, we've repented of our sins, the Holy Spirit comes inside us, and we know a love intimately that we could not know just with our minds. We've now experienced that. We had no choice to be born into this world by our dad and mom, but every child of God is is made such by a personal choice that we have decided we want to be born again. We desire to have a new life through Jesus. And I love that the miracles Jesus did, it illustrated the truth of the gospel. So he spoke the gospel to the people, but then he did things that illustrated the gospel, like a blind person, person born blind, who was now able to see. Someone who was born lame, that he empowered to walk. The the paralyzed man, who was able to pick up his bed and walk. The lepers who were heading towards death, but they had a new life. They were cleansed. Those oppressed by demons, they were delivered and set free. And this is what Jesus does through the gospel for all who believe. So that shows his power, that it's a reality. We have a new life through him. So how can we know we are born again? It's not based upon our feelings by our our faith, but upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the word of God. Verse 1 says, if we're born of God and love God, we will love those begotten of him. We will love fellow Christians. You guys have noticed how animals of the same kind, they often get along together, generally, right? There may be some uh, fighting for dominance to see who's going to rule the roost or who's going to be the 
the, I guess, the main lion in the pride. But you would feel pretty uncomfortable if you were a human being um, with the, the lion pride in the savanna or with a basque of crocodiles. You would be out of place. You would be perceived as a threat. We really wouldn't stand much of a chance without weapons against those animals, right? A lion, a full-grown lion, or, or crocodiles. But when you talk about lions, they recognize even the little ones in their pride. They are protected. They are cared for. They're not going to attack their little ones. They will protect their little ones. So they recognize which, who's part of their group. And instead of us being just really insular and only protecting and noticing those that we like, but realizing that this is a child of God, really we're on holy ground. We are talking to someone who's a believer, someone who God has received God's love, who Jesus Christ died for, and that we should love that person. And sometimes it's hard to love our brother, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to, to get along with your sister. But we'll be known as Christians because we love one another, because we're looking out for each other, because we desire to, to show God's love to people that naturally we would avoid. We'll show God's love to his children. And Jesus is that prime example that he stooped to our lowest state. He gave his life for us, and we've read it in 1 John in verse chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So we know love because Jesus has demonstrated it for us. He laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. There's not a lot of opportunities to be crucified for someone, and I don't know what that would achieve anyway, but to lay down your life, to open your heart, to have compassion towards your brother, to seek to help them when you can, to pray for them when they're in trouble, to give them a call, to reach out to them. Are you willing to lay down your life for others? If you are, then the love of God is in you. If we're shutting up our hearts from one another, then it shows that we're not walking in the love of God. Now, we need to take this personally. We can't use this this idea as ammunition to say, I question the reality of your walk with God because I don't feel like you're loving me, right? We can't turn this around. We have to take it personally. If we have a loving perspective, it will affect the way that we perceive others. And I have a little story from through the Bible. And it, uh, I probably will just take snippets of it because it's rather long. But it talks about a family's traveling in a covered wagon through a little town in Oklahoma. They stopped at the town store to talk to the owner. What kind of town is this here? The storekeeper said, well, what kind of town did you come from? Oh, the man said, we come from a wonderful town. Everybody there seemed to know each other, seemed to care about each other, and had a concern for each other. They were very wonderful people. We really hated to leave. The storekeeper said, this is just the same kind of town that you left. The man said, well then, I think maybe we'll settle here, and drove on down the street. In a little while, another covered wagon drove up in front of the little store. The man asked the storekeeper, what kind of town is this? So the storekeeper again said, what kind of town did you come from? 
We were glad to get away from it, the man said. They were some of the meanest people that I've ever met. They were never very neighborly or very helpful. We never had any friends, and that's the reason we left. The storekeeper told him, well, I think you're going to find this is the same kind of town. We are the same kind of people. And the second man decided to drive on. Another citizen of the town had been sitting there with the storekeeper and said, what do you mean by giving these two men two different viewpoints of the town? The storekeeper replied, I've learned that any town will be the same kind of town that you have left because you will be the same kind of person. Some are never really satisfied with Christian fellowship and they, they keep driving west and they keep moving on. Maybe because they haven't been born again, maybe because they're not walking in the love of God. But know that God is able to make you a new person. He's able to change the way you see others and the world, that you can perceive things that you didn't know before because he's now given you insight filled with his life and his love. And that changes the way that you see other people. Verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the love of God is shown by obedience to his word. The commandment that Jesus gave us to love one another, it's not like a burden that's going to wear you down and tire you out to do. Like you've got to take a break from loving others because it's such a big task. That's not the way that it works. We, we don't view essentials as unnecessary burdens, do we? Uh, for instance, if you picked out your socks this morning or belt or leggings, you didn't choose them because they were the lightest ones, because you were afraid, like, if I wear that belt, I'll collapse by noon. Way too heavy. You don't think about it in those terms, right? The socks that you choose, like, you can have some really fluffy, thick ones that you don't want, but you're not worried that they're going to be like lead weights around your ankles. You probably chose your socks or your clothes based upon how they matched with each other. The weight wasn't really the, the point. In a spiritual sense, loving others is as practical and easy as wearing a belt. It's not going to weigh you down, um, but the love of God is not an accessory. The love of God is the substance of our lives now. It's not something we just wear on the outside and we just take it off when we change clothes. No, the love of God is now if you're born again, within you. And God has enabled you to love others as he loves you. So he's not telling you to do something that he's not helping you to do. So it's not some burden that's like, oh, I have to love that person. And we may feel like that. <laughs> but we don't have to because God is the one who's helping us to love other people. It'd be like a little child, like dad's painting the fence and the kid's like, stirring the paint, just like, oh, this is taking so long, and, and oh, so much depends upon me, and dad's looking at the boy and just going, like, I can do everything that you're doing. <laughs> it's not hard for me to do it. We can be impatient. We are not loving, but God is loving, and he has filled us. So we've been born again, and we have the power now to overcome, overcome the world. Every sin, 
every power of Satan, every scheme that he's devised, we have strength to overcome through Jesus Christ. Nothing that Satan throws at us can ruin us. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So all sin that's in the world has been overcome by Jesus. Even the weakness and the folly of our flesh. We can say generally, oh yeah, Jesus has destroyed all power of sin. But do you believe that Jesus has also given you the power to overcome your flesh? Well, certainly, if he's if he has raised you in newness of life, he can give you deliverance in your flesh. He is an overcomer. And there's no power of darkness that cannot be overcome by the blood of Jesus and through faith in him. What is the victory, it says, which has overcome the world? Our faith. If you could turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31, we'll read of some promises to all who overcome through faith in him. So my faith, it is the means to overcoming, but it's truly Christ who has overcome. It's not through my faith that I overcome. It's really the faith he has provided. He has won the victory. And through trusting in him, I get to overcome with him. So Romans 8, starting in verse 31, it says, What can we say? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The death of Christ was a decisive victory over sin and death, and it's proved through his resurrection. Complete victory over sin, and sin brings death. You think about death, and it doesn't seem like a victory, does it? The disciples didn't think so. When Jesus died, they were scared to death that they were going to die next, and so they hid in locked rooms. But when Jesus rose from the dead, at first, they didn't even believe it. But once they recognized that Jesus had risen, they had talked with him, they had seen him eat, they realized he was the Christ. You know, like Thomas said, my Lord and my God. There was a boldness in them because they realized death, they did not have to fear anymore because Jesus had overcome death. There's a reality in his resurrection that we also have. And there, it's that this great song in... Revelation 12, verse 11, it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So even in tribulation, even in persecution and death, we cannot be overcome by evil because Jesus has already overcome. So glory to God for that. Now 1 John 5, verses 6 through 9. 
This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. Some say these are some of the more difficult passages or verses to exegete in the New Testament, so God help me. Um, Even if I spoke on these verses alone for hours, I could only scratch the surface of them. Um, But there are many interpretations that people have posed to where it says, Jesus, this is he who came by water and blood. And the rule of thumb, as we learned in our inductive Bible study course, is that we interpret literally when possible. Verse 8, if we, when we keep reading, it says the spirit, water, and blood agree as one. Some say that the, the, the water is a reference to his natural birth by the Virgin Mary, but it's likely Christ's baptism is a stronger, um, there's stronger evidence for that because it was witnessed by many people. We have the Father speaking from heaven. We have the Holy Spirit coming upon him in a form of a dove and remaining on him. And the baptism in water, it signifies purity. And the baptism and the death of Christ, they affirm his humanity. Jesus did not, he was not baptized because he had sins, but he said to fulfill all righteousness. And one of the reasons why John the Baptist was baptizing was so that the Messiah would be revealed to Israel. As we read in John 1, verse 31 through 34, it says, So John the Baptist speaking, I did not know him speaking of the Christ, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Another connection between water and blood. Under the law, they were both required for purification. So purification came from the washing of water first and then the shedding of blood. You see that when you would go up to the temple. You would have to uh, ceremonially wash in a mikvah and then you would take your sacrifice in and the blood would be shed. So you had to, you couldn't just wash to be cleansed. You couldn't just shed the blood of the sacrifice. You had to do both. You had to wash in water and then offer the correct animal in the prescribed manner. Water provides the cleansing. The blood provides the atonement. Now it's the Holy Spirit who causes us to be purified. It's interesting what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 5. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he uses a similar phrase there. Jesus, in the next chapter, he speaks to the woman at the well. And he says, the Holy Spirit will spring up within us, living water leading to um, eternal life. So the statement to Nicodemus, being born of water and the Spirit, it's speaking of the purification through the Holy Spirit. 
If you can turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28, we see that God's promise of a new covenant is established through the blood of Jesus, but there's also sprinkling of water. When he talks about the sprinkling of water, it's not like a mist from heaven. It's actually the, the sprinkling that the Holy Spirit will do, that cleansing. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. And we can see that the context is, this sprinkling is figurative, speaking of the work that the Holy Spirit will do. Ezekiel 36, 25. waiting for the diminishing of rustling. That's why I like actually Bibles, because I can tell when you're getting there. Ezekiel 36, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. So it's speaking of the purifying work of the Holy Spirit, that they would be sprinkled, they would be washed clean. The blood of Jesus, it cleanses us and provides atonement, payment in full for our sins. Now, if you're reading an NIV, you would have noticed a portion of verses 7, so all of verse 7, and verse, part of verse 8 was omitted. The part that speaks of heaven, so the testimony in heaven, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And there's no shortage of debate about, from theologians whether or not this verse or how it's framed should have been in the Bible at all. Some say it should not be included. There's so much talk about it um, that it even has a title. It's called the Comma Johannium. So they've been talking about this for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, there, are, there are some that say the rendering in the King James and the New King James is rare until about the fifth, 15th century. Um, many manuscripts have these words in the margin, not actually in the text. Interesting, the people that debate whether they should be there or not don't disagree with what they say. They don't have a problem with what's being said. It's completely true. But if you are going to talk to somebody who and say, this is my proof of the Trinity, the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit being equal, yet three separate, um, I guess, uh, same in essence, but three persons, this would not be the best passage to prove that because it is debatable by some people. Now, I believe that this is the word of God. I believe that it's true and people do not deny it. Um, And the debate should not cause us to have any question or concern about the authenticity of the Old or the New Testaments. There are no autographs. That means originals. Everything that we have now has been copied at some point. And because they have so many copies, tens of thousands of copies, they're able to discern what is the the consensus or the most common. If there's a scribal error, it's easily found. This is one of a handful of questions that people have, and some say, well, since we're not sure, maybe omit it. But the fact is, it's true. They do give, it's a true passage. So, 
The NIV rendering just for drill of 1 John 5, 7, and 8, it says, For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. I am in agreement. I think the Bible is definitely in agreement. So we can have complete confidence in it. Verse 9, it says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which has testified of his Son. Everyone here receives the witness of men every day. I say, Abel, have you cleaned your room? He's like, yeah, okay. And I didn't go check. I received the witness of a man. Um, If you hear the news and you believe at all what's being said, based upon even the evidence that you can see, you're... You say, okay, I believe that that's true. When I called the bank the other day, I had to give them some details, answer some questions. Don't you hate it when you can't remember the question that you even, you're like, oh, okay, where do we go from here? I'm really this person. You can believe me. Um, They will give me complete access to my account if I just answer a couple of questions. They take my witness on board. When you have someone who's committed a crime, or perhaps committed a crime, the witnesses that testify and the the jurors and the judge need to weigh that to say, is this person going to go to jail or pay a fine or be exonerated, be set free? So the witness of a man we receive. We put a great deal of value on man's witness. But he says the witness of God is greater. So if we'll receive the witness of men, Shouldn't we take the witness of God to heart? John testified of what he had heard and seen, but the Father also testified, didn't he? He sent angels to proclaim the birth of Jesus Christ. Many times his voice boomed from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him on the Mount of Transfiguration, during his baptism, before Lazarus was um, risen, raised from the dead. The fact that at his death, you have those, the darkness for three hours, the earthquake, the rock splitting, the dead being raised, the veil being torn. All these things spoke of Christ's legitimacy as Messiah. So if we're going to receive the witness of men, we must receive the witness of God who is greater. If God spoke to you audibly, would you believe him? Hmm. We'd be like second-guessing ourselves, wouldn't we? Like, oh, wait, wait a second. I heard a voice, but where did that come from? See, God has spoken. He's spoken to us in his word, and it hasn't changed. John 10.35, it says, the word cannot be broken. So it's a witness of God. This is the testimony of God, and it cannot be broken. We cannot take away or add to what God has said. 1 John 5, verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The Father sent the Son to be our Savior And whoever believes on that only begotten Son will have everlasting life. This is the testimony. There is eternal life, and we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ, through trusting in Him. 
And when you've trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of your heart and he dwells within you. And you have that witness inside of you to lead you into truth. He's the one that makes you new. And the Holy Spirit will always be in agreement with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? If he guides us into all truth, as he said in uh, John 16, then he will be in agreement with the truth, Jesus Christ. And he says, if we don't believe God, we are calling him a liar. Those who demand that God show them a sign or do something more before they will believe. Remember those people that Jesus fed? And they followed him across the lake for a lunch, hopefully. And he says, you're not coming over here, you know, because you believe in me. You just want to eat. You're just following your stomachs. And they say, what sign will you show us that we can believe in you? Like, what more do they possibly hope to see? When you take five loaves and two fish and you feed 5,000 men plus families to the full and have 12 baskets left over. Those who demand that God show them a sign, it means they don't believe what God has already done. They don't believe his witness. And they will not believe even if someone is raised from the dead. So if you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, if you believe he did signs and miracles, that he died on a cross and that he rose from the dead, you can believe in God's testimony. It's true. So, verse 11, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That's why the death on the cross is so important to our faith in following Christ. That resurrection of Christ, most critical. If Jesus did not actually die on the cross, then he could not have been raised from the dead. If he is not raised from the dead, in 1 Corinthians 15, we learn that we are without hope in the world, we are still in our sins, and there's no, there's no hope for us at all. Our faith is worthless. He goes on to say, but Jesus has died on the cross. He has been raised from the dead. And we have victory through him. Notice that it says, God has given us eternal life. It's not something that we earn, that we can uh, kind of muster up to obtain. He's given it, and we receive it through trusting in him. To overcome death is an amazing thing. And the power of death, phenomenal. 1 John 5, 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Only Jesus Christ has the words of life and only in him is found eternal life. That's what makes Christianity distinct from all religions of this world because it claims that the only way to salvation is found through faith in Jesus Christ, not by some amount of works that we have to do to earn it. We have assurance of salvation, unlike all other religions of the world, that place a great emphasis on the things that you have to do for God, and even when you've done all that you can, you don't know for sure that you've done enough. You're always in doubt. 
you're not really sure. You just hope and hope like, I, I wish that I'm saved, but I don't know that I'm saved. We know that we are saved. We have assurance of our salvation because of the promises God has made us in his word, because of the reality of Christ's coming, his death, and his resurrection. If you have the Son, you have all the life there is for eternity. Everything is found in him. If you do not have Jesus, the Bible says we're dead in our sins right now, and the wrath of God abides on us. So if you will be saved, you must pass through the door. The door is Jesus. He is the only way to eternal life. And we pass through that door through trusting in him. John's writing to believers here, and he's writing with the express purpose to affirm they can know beyond any doubt that they have eternal life. Your security is not in your faith, in the strength of your faith, in the steadfastness of your obedience. It's through Jesus Christ, what he has done. So it's not my knowledge that saves me. It's not how I feel about it. It's what Jesus has done. And that doesn't change. Praise God. There's a need for all believers to endure. I would suspect that you believe things now you didn't believe at some other point in your life. Just because you believe something today, does that mean that you have to believe it tomorrow? No. Our beliefs change. There are things that we believed as children that we see as foolish now, right? And I would dare say that some have decided to follow Jesus for a season, but then decided against it, that it was all pretty stupid, and they wanted nothing to do with it. Now, there's two points that we should retain. We know that he's speaking to believers, but we need to remember, eternal life is only found through Jesus, and we who believe should continue believing in him. Not start believing in ourselves, not start thinking that, you know, I have strength in myself or I'm worthy in myself, but keep believing in Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus no matter what happens in the world. Because when John was writing this, there were a lot of problems in the world. And there were a lot of problems within the church where people were denying the humanity of Jesus or the deity of Jesus. And that's why he says, hey, the water and the blood, they're really important. You need to know that Jesus is a real person and that he did die and he is alive and we have eternal life through him. And those are unshakable truths that we have through the word of God and we've seen it with our eyes. Do you desire eternal life? Is that attractive to you? It's very attractive to me. The alternative is hell forever. And I want to be in the presence of the God who loves me, the one who created me and the one who's made me a new creation. And we can praise him. I mean, he's giving us a gift of life. Will you receive that gift? And once you've received it, isn't it fitting we'd want to spend time with him? That we'd get to know him? Not like the deer that just runs away, doesn't give a thought about, is really incapable of thinking about what has just happened. The, the bullet has just been dodged. Has no clue. Just reacting to the world but that we would be as that leper who is like, before I go on my merry way, 
I need to give glory to God and return to the one who's given me a new life. And I would not be surprised if that Samaritan followed Jesus from then on. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened after that. But Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We have peace through our Savior. So we're going to make a transition to communion to remember and proclaim the death of Jesus. And it seems a strange thing to proclaim death. But remember, Romans 5.8, it says that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in proclaiming his death, we're proclaiming his love. And that's the picture he's given. Could you please turn to John 19? John was an eyewitness of Jesus and the things that he did and said. He said, I suppose if all the things Jesus did were compiled in in books, the world itself would not be able to contain the books that would be written. That's a lot of evidence. We have a lot of evidence, but he's like, if I wrote it all down, there's no end to writing it. In our text today, it said that Jesus came not only by water, but by water and blood. John had written that in uh, 1 John, but he also included that in his description at Jesus' crucifixion in John 19. After Jesus died on the cross, the, the Jews, the ones who had condemned him, ironically, they were really concerned about breaking the law. Yeah. They condemn Jesus to die. They falsely accuse him. They, they have him crucified. And they're up. Oh, the Sabbath is coming, and we don't want those bodies hanging on the cross because that would be wrong. So they went to Pilate and they said, we'd like to have those bodies taken down, please. And uh, he was surprised that Jesus was already dead. So he had the centurion go and confirm that he was dead. John 19.33, it says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him who they pierced. The scripture cannot be broken, so not a bone of Jesus was broken on the cross. Isn't that great? He goes back to the the Psalms. And after Jesus died, he was pierced with that spear. And it would have been through the the lungs and into the heart to confirm that he had indeed passed. And John said, I saw the blood and water come out. And they were uh, separated. Because of the torment and crucifixion that Jesus endured, medically speaking, the blood and water would separate. It showed that he suffered from um, pericardial and pleural effusion, effusion, excuse me. So that's what happens. You get fluid built up around your lungs and around the heart. And when that was pierced, blood and water came out. And John went through great pains to show us that he did indeed, he was an eyewitness of this. He knew what he had saw, what he had seen. And to what end? He says, so that you would believe. Believe. 
you would believe that Jesus has died, that he was a man, that his blood is sufficient to cleanse you from sin, and that he is now alive and we have overcome through him. And what joy that gives us to know that he is our Savior, he is our Lord and our King forever, and we can worship and praise him. And we know him because he dwells within us. As Jesus hung, suspended from the cross, in Mark 15, it says a centurion looked upon him and said, Truly this man was the Son of God. So I encourage you to do that right now, to just look upon Jesus as he hung upon the cross. Consider the price he paid. He was lifted up so he could draw all people to himself, so that he could sprinkle many nations, so that uh, the whole world could experience his salvation. Through the blood of Jesus, we have overcome. And let's continue believing that. It's cool that when we receive the bread and the the grape juice, the bread represents the broken body of Jesus. The juice represents his shed blood. And even as when we're baptized, it's symbolic of us uh, dying and being raised to newness of life, being washed and purified from sin. So receiving the elements... It's identifying with Christ's death. And if we identify with his death, we identify in his resurrection and his new life. That new life is in you, believer. So keep believing in him. Don't look to anything but him for your salvation or your help. He is your hope. He is your life. And he has shown you his love and the victory that you can have, that he offers, he gives it to you. Let's receive that. So if I could have the team come up, please, for uh, to lead us in some songs as we come forward and receive of the bread and the cup. If you are a believer, this is for you to do so in identification with your Savior. And if you're not born again, today is the day. You can be made new. You can have a new life. You can become a new person if you'll repent and trust in him. And you'll say, you know, I I want Jesus to be my king. I want to live with him forever. And receive that gift. Receive today and rejoice in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the newness of life that you give us through Christ. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins, for giving us eternal life. Lord, you have done all things well. And it's beyond words to describe how joyful we are in this knowledge, how sober we are realizing that we have sinned and offended you and that we deserve death. We deserve punishment forever. But you have come and you have given us a way to have eternal life and to have peace with God and be reconciled and redeemed, to be transformed and made new, that old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I pray, Lord, you would open our eyes to see. If we have blind eyes this morning, Lord, please open them. If we have been lame for some reason, Lord, give our, give our legs strength. And if we've been paralyzed, Lord, with doubts and fears and cares of this world, Lord, uh, quicken us by your spirit and lift us up. And if we've been, uh, if we've been dead, Lord, in trespasses and sins, Lord, revive us again. Bring us back to a place of fruitfulness and great joy in your presence. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be poured out upon all of us afresh this morning, that we would know you and that we would know the power of your resurrection and even your suffering, Lord, that we might draw close to you.
Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, for his shed blood that washes us clean. And may we continue believing on you, Lord, no matter what people say, no matter how we feel, that we would pursue you and we would seek you with our whole hearts. So, Lord, we come before you now desiring uh, your presence to lead and guide us, to rejoice and to praise you and to remember and proclaim your death till you come, Lord Jesus. We thank you again for how good you are and how awesome is your power in Jesus' name. Amen.